in investing, no company is 100% perfect. Neither is any company 100% bad. Rather than growth versus value, look for growth in value. That categorization of stocks into large cap, mid cap and small cap is overrated. Categorization of businesses into good, great and gruesome is underrated. Focus on the business. It's about getting the greatest amount of value for the price being paid with the lowest amount of risk. There's an allocation shift taking place by global funds out of China and Taiwan into India. And that's why India has become a disproportionate beneficiary of these flows. If the underlying business model is getting absolutely disrupted because of some new technology innovation, then that is the time to take a dispassionate view and exit the stock. So caution should be the default practice for all investors in the market, especially during bull markets, because this is when maximum mistakes of commission Welcome everyone to another exciting episode of Talks with Gaurat, where we aim to deconstruct the seemingly complex world of finance and empower investors to take better and relevant investment decisions for themselves. My name is Varun Fatehpuria and I am the founder and CEO of Gaurat Wealth Management. Today we have someone on our show who is somewhat of an anti-thesis in the Indian investment industry. And what do I mean by that? I'll just try and get that to in a second. But please join me in welcoming Gautam Baird onto the show today. Gautam is the managing partner of Stellar Wealth Partners India Fund, a Delaware-based investment partnership which is available to accredited investors in the United States. He's also the equity advisor of Complete Circle Stellar Wealth PMS, a portfolio management service that is available to Indians and NRIs globally. Both of these funds are modeled after the unique Buffett partnership and invest in listed Indian equities with a long-term fundamental and value-based approach. Previously, Gautam served as the portfolio manager at Summit Global Investments, an SEC-registered investment advisor in Salt Lake City, United States. Prior to that, he served in the Hong Kong, London and Mumbai offices of Citigroup and Deutsche Bank in their investment banking teams. Gautam is also the author of the international bestseller, Joys of Compounding, uh, on value investing. In 2018 and 2019, he was also profiled in Morningstar's Learn from the Master series. Gautam, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on our show today. Thank you for having me, Varun. Uh, so, Gautam, let's just uh, get started with a really understanding and for the benefit of our audience and viewers today, what exactly does Stellar Wealth does both at the, uh, I would say, the US-based fund and the India fund? And what is this unique Buffett partnership that you have incorporated into your management fee structure? Because that is something that has def- definitely stuck out to us. Sure. So, Stellar Wealth Partners India Fund is a Delaware-based investment partnership modeled after the original Buffett partnership fee structure. We don't charge any management fee and we only take an incentive fee on returns over 6% in US dollar terms. And we accept capital from accredited investors in the US and invest in listed Indian equities with a long-term, patient and value-oriented approach. We replicate the same philosophy in Complete Circle's Telewealth PMS, which is a portfolio management service available to NRIs and Indian citizens which the portfolios between both the funds are broadly similar and the philosophy is similar. In uh, case of the Stellar Wealth India Fund, I'm the fund manager. And in case of Complete Circle Stellar Wealth, Gurmit Chadda of Complete Circle is the fund manager. Got it. And what was really the rationale, Gautam, in, in terms of you know incorporating this model? Uh, was it more of a way to you know distinguish yourself from the crowded field 
or did you really feel that that incentives were aligned when you do not have a management fees and in that essence you do not become an asset gatherer and you're solely focused on generating returns for your clients absolutely in fact by having zero management fee this forces the fund manager to focus on return maximization and because my entire equity allocation uh, is invested in my india fund i don't have a single rupee or dollar invested outside the india fund anywhere else so that forces me to focus on downside protection as well so clients get the best of both worlds and they can sleep peacefully at night when i start, set out to establish this fund in the us i was very clear that i want to establish the most client centric fund in the us because as you know unfortunately most of the investment industry today has become more of a marketing industry just focused on gathering aum and assets under management because fund managers and the management team get very hefty management fees irrespective of performance but that just the seemed very skewed in favor of the owners of the business but you know for people who are investors first and asset managers later like me i think our focus should be to deliver the best risk adjusted just adjusted returns to our clients that should be the main focus absolutely gautam and that's something that we solely agree on the evolution of the industry that we have seen both uh, uh, domestically and internationally unfortunately that is where a lot of the focus has actually uh, been Uh, directed towards but another thing that really sort of like uh, stuck out to me when we were researching upon the fund was that you do not aim to become an asset gatherer and you will have a hard close when you feel that the size has become too big uh, and what we call in industry parlance is is size really the enemy of returns you really sort of like buy into this notion that once you get to a certain size uh, you will not be able to generate the returns that you were able to generate when you were a much smaller and a nimbler fund because we are see, seeing something in the small cap space but that will come to in a second just want your thoughts on that absolutely varun again a very good question and at stellar partners india fund we will hard close the fund to outside investors and fresh uh, subscription once we reach 100 million dollars of aum the reason for that is i've seen from history that size of aum acts as a force of gravity on performance and on returns and the uh, investment firms which focus on Now, gathering a very large size of AUMs are the ones usually who charge a very hefty management fee or a percentage of assets in the management. So for them, it makes all the more sense to keep on raising AUM with respect to oh. performance. But but in the, when you have a zero management fee structure, it forces you to focus focus on returns first, and therefore you are cognizant of the fact that beyond a certain level of AUM, you won't be able to invest in the high growth small cap mid cap stocks in India because they are very thinly traded in uh, comparison to the similar market cap stocks in the US and the western world so you know we have to take trading volume liquidity into account when you're running a fund and managing public money there are few more there's one more nuance when you uh, actually run a fund the investment process which you select for the fund has to be replicable repeatable and scalable and you have to focus on quality at all times because when you're managing your own personal money or managing your own personal portfolio you can take a lot of undue risk as well without anyone questioning you but when you are holding yourself up to public accountability you have to be cognizant of you know various uh, finer aspects like trading volume liquidity quality of the business and the management and you know also be prudently diversified you cannot expose yourself and your clients to single factor risk many hedge fund managers in us blew up in 2022 their funds were down 70% because the entire portfolio was invested in only one single factor high growth tech 
which was unprofitable okay. moment the moment interest rates went up those stocks crashed 70% and once you're down that much you're effectively out of the game so we don't want to be like those funds which go up 100% in the bull market and then crash 70% in the bear market we want to survive for the long term and peter burstein and peter burstein has very aptly said survival is the only road to riches the force of capitalism is so strong that if you can simply survive in the stock market for a few decades you can't help but become very rich because of the power of compounding so a lot of interesting again gautam uh, points that you mentioned which really provides me a good segue so i just take on the first one when you talked about you know all of these high growth uh, focused fund managers uh, in the us and globally what we saw i think once the interest rates you know started to increase rapidly over the last 12 to 18 months i think growth as a style of investing suddenly uh, went out of the window so uh, again we have been seeing over the last 10 or 15 or years since the onset of the 2008 global financial crisis when the interest rates were um, at their at their lowest i think that style of investing typically trumped over you know the value side of investing which you uh, advocate for uh, and then we again have the school of thought where you know it is not an either this or a that approach uh, given what's happening in the world currently how do you reconcile this you know the notion of do i need to be a value investor do i need to be a growth investor or could i find a somewhat sweet middle ground uh, given what the market conditions are so rather rather than growth versus value look for growth in value value investing is not about buying bad and damaged businesses cheap it's about getting the greatest amount of value for the price being paid with the lowest amount of risk so that is what value investing basically means you are basically looking for asymmetric risk reward opportunities where the probability of the upside is multiple times the probability of a downside you have to think in terms of probability because value investing is basically all value investing is future investing a probabilistic bet on what lies ahead in the future there will be phases when you know cheap stocks are in favor and growth stocks end up perform like 2022 there will be phases like 2020 2021 when growth stocks outperform massively but the one single strategy which has stood the test of time across market cycles economic cycles and interest rate cycles in india and abroad is growth at a reasonable price and we are here there's a fine nuance when we say reasonable price i'm referring to a fair price or a full price based on current year earnings and in order to understand what is the justified valuation or the fair valuation for any stock in the world i highly recommend investors to to read two white papers which i've referenced to in my book as well the first white paper is what does the price to earning multiple mean by martin morrison the second white paper is titled the p ratio a user's manual by epoch investment partners both these white papers explain and demonstrate how the interplay of growth and return on invested capital for any business determine the justified or fair p multiple for any business so when i say growth at a reasonable price you understand what is the reasonable price to pay for any business if you read these two white papers great great gautam i think we we'll turn our attention a bit into what's happening in the indian markets right now and again uh, previously touching upon the point of you know size versus returns uh, and this is something that is really pre- uh, relevant in the context of small cap funds or the small cap sector the kind of inflows the 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 small cap category has seen i think over 13000 crores of net inflows over the last 6 months right into the category where the fund managers have been forced to close subscriptions and no one really likes that right i mean when you're earning a good hefty management fees why do you want to close off your fund to subscriptions uh, what in your view 
uh, are you seeing with respect to what's happening in the small cap space? Are the valuations justified relative to the where the market is, or is it more being supported by the kind of euphoria from domestic retail investors? Both. I think both the parts you mentioned are valid. I think all the quality small cap stocks are slightly overvalued at this point of time or fully valued based on current year earnings. The easy money, like we, I know this is a cliche statement, but the fact is that the easy money has been made between 1st April and the end of July. And from here on, basically you'll get returns in line with earnings growth at best in most of these stocks which you invest in. So at the end of March, there was pessimism and despair all around. People were talking about a renewed bear market, but... uh, Markets tend to surprise everyone and that is why since beginning of April to now, they've had such a ferocious rally and now stocks have become fully valued. But here I would like to share with you the three stages of any new bull market. And in stage one, stocks across the board from across sector get revalued back to fair evaluation or full evaluation. Sector rotation happens fast and furious during stage one as uh, you know all the stocks across sectors are getting revalued. After that, you have a narrow, in stage two, you have a narrow and selective rally in which bottom-up stock pickers are handsomely rewarded. And in stage three, the final stage, SME stocks, micro-caps, deep cyclicals, commodities, and stocks with questionable promoters and junk stocks, these category of stocks go parabolic. And finally, the bull market comes to an end and we have a bear market. This exact pattern played out uh, between 2014 and 2017. In 2014, we had stage one. 2015 and 16, we had stage 2 in which we had intermittent sharp corrections as well. And in 2017, we had stage 3 in which the parabolic blow of top took place. So, every multi-year bull market goes through these three stages. I believe we are in stage 1 right now or about to end stage 1 very soon. And from here on, it will become a stock pickers market. Uh, great, great, Gautam. I think where we touched upon, you know, the, the kind of support that the retail investors have provided into the market. But I think from your vantage, sitting in the US, right, speaking to a lot of endowments and pension funds and big institutional investors, the kind of FII net outflows that we saw both in 2021 and 2022, I think close to 2 lakh odd crores, right? And now suddenly we are seeing in 2023, all of these big institutional investors come back into the Indian market. What in your point of view has really changed? I mean, on the ground, honestly, I think the sentiment broadly has been the same about India growth story. But uh, it, it's just funny the way, you know, institutional investors have snapped back and, you know, already uh, gotten over 50,000 crores of capital into the market. So speaking to big institutional investors, what do you think has changed in their minds about the uh, the investing side uh, that they're seeing in India right now? To answer your question, Varun, nothing has changed in the mindset about India, to be honest. What has changed is the allocation. So, China and Taiwan combined have a very large percentage allocation in the Emerging Market Index of MSCI. Just to, But now that many investors are pushing their funds to you know, move out of China and Taiwan because of the geopolitical concerns, now when an Emerging Fund Manager, Emerging Markets Fund Manager gets, uh, you know, needs to take out money from these two countries, China and Taiwan, he cannot return back the money to his clients. He has to deploy it somewhere. And well, in today's world, which is the country which offers the most stability in terms of political dispensation, economic policies, reforms, it is India. You're getting the best of all worlds, you know, economic reforms, growth, political stability. And therefore, there's an allocation shift taking place by global funds out of China and Taiwan into India. And that's why India has become a disproportionate beneficiary of these flows. 
South Korea has also got some uh, flows from uh, because of the reallocation, but India because of the sheer high growth prospects in its stock market is getting the lion's share of the flows. Great. And what do you think, uh, Gautam, of your uh, views about you know Japan as an investment decision? Again, it has been somewhat of a renaissance of sorts. You know, suddenly from the starting of this year, as if uh, the entire equity markets in the Jap- in Japan has come back to full life over the. Uh, which has not been the case over the last two to three decades. Again, has fund something fundamentally changed, or again, is it more of a allocation shift towards the Japanese equities? That's a good question again. And for the last two decades, Japan was in a period of deflation. Deflation, but finally, after many decades, we are having inflation. Initial signs of inflation re-emerging, which will lead to higher nominal GDP growth. And over the long run, the corporate earnings of any stock market grow in line with nominal GDP growth. If the nominal GDP growth of Japan is going to go up because of the renewed inflation surge, therefore investors around the world are now also looking at Japan very actively. That's why you're seeing that particular market also at a multi-decade high. And I think uh, Buffett's uh, timing of his end, the timing of Warren Buffett's entry into Japan equities uh, was spot on. Till then, uh, the market has appreciated significantly. And uh, the good thing is, even today. Most Jap- quality Japanese equities are still available at very high dividend yields and uh, low P multiples. So that's definitely an area of interest for global institutional investors for sure. Uh, wait, switching our attention, uh, got them back to the Indian markets again, the kind of uh, bull run that we have seen over the last three months, right? Uh, this is something that we actually hear from a lot of investors, right? When do you think is the correct time to, you know, harvest some of the profits? Again, I mean, it's it, it seems like a good time key. The markets have gone up, and you know, I should probably book some profits and take some money off the table. Uh, you as a as a big money manager for a lot of these, you know, wealthy individuals, uh, how do you, from a fund manager point of view, uh, think that a stock has reached its full value? It's now time to harvest and maybe redeploy this capital somewhere else. Like, when do you make that call that I need to now exit the investment? One of the biggest triggers for exiting any stock is when its terminal value comes into question. Because the 70 to 80% of the intrinsic value of any business lies in the terminal value, that is value way out of the future. If the underlying business model is getting absolutely disrupted because of some new technology innovation, then that is the time to take a dispassionate view and exit the stock. So... In case of, uh, you know, all these, uh, you know, battery manufacturers, I'll give an example here. So, the battery man- listed battery manufacturers in India, which get to OEMs, auto, uh, original or equipment manufacturers or the automobile manufacturers. If the, since batteries are the main cost of any electric vehicle, and we know electric vehicles are the future trend, if the automobile manufacturers start shifting the battery manufacturing in-house to save on cost, then what happens to the terminal value of these listed battery makers? That's a question. So, always keep a razor-sharp view on terminal value. The trajectory of the terminal value is what determines P multiple D rating or P multiple re rating. So, be a business analyst, not a securities analyst. The second trigger for selling a stock is gross capital misallocation and sizable capital misallocation by the management. Small missteps can be pardoned and ignored if it's small compared to the you know, uh, total gross block of the company. But if the company is investing more than half of its existing gross block into a low return on invested capital business initiative and that will end up destroying shareholder value over time. So in that those cases also, you should exit the stock. The third very important reason for exiting a stock is 
lack of integrity shown by the management if the management tries to shortchange minority shareholders in a unethical manner then you have to take a decision to exit the stock and move on and the fourth and final op, uh, reason for selling a stock is if you find a far superior opportunity to invest in and you need the cash to deploy it in then you have to sell a stock and move on the fourth the last reason which i mentioned is very difficult to do in practice but as fund managers our job is to be objective and dispassionate we have to focus on maximizing returns at all times while keeping the risk uh, managed at a sectoral level so a, a good point gautam you mentioned over there about you know talking about the integrity of the promoter group and the management in general right i mean uh, again given where india is at uh, right now compared to the western counterparts again i think we still have a longer uh, way to go with respect to you know both the quality of uh, and how do you actually separate the fiduciary duties of both the board and management and some of the mishaps that we have seen come on to the light over the last 6 to 8 months some really big names you know being questioned around the corporate governance practice as a as 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 really a wealth manager and a fund manager how, how, what are some of the key signs that you look at when you are evaluating promoter uh, promoter holdings and you know all, all of these allegations around round tripping of funds because it can really be difficult to you get your get yourself into all of those holdings and uh, yeah disclosures there in detail checklist so i have a detailed checklist of various corporate governance red flags to take care of when evaluating management in india i'll share a few of them with you right away so check whether the auditor fees is growing faster than revenue growth that's a red flag check for any qualifications raised by the auditor in their auditor report check if the promoter is using minority shareholder money to build lavish corporate offices for himself check whether the company has shared wealth with minority shareholders in the past so dividends and share buybacks check if there are any related significant related party transactions that's a red flag again check if the promoter has got a uh, privately private entity which is in the same line of business as the listed entity because that may lead to a conflict of interest also you know uh, check the opinions and uh, feedback of reputed investors in the in the particular industry and the stock check uh, the opinions of employees on website like glassdoor to see if there are any, any additional red flags check if the promoter is giving a guarantee on the debt of his other group companies through the listed entity that's also a red flag and you know when you you know go through so you know all this entire checklist of uh, you know red flags or corporate governance concerns of the company you have to also acknowledge that in investing no company is 100% perfect neither is any company 100% bad it's always in shades of gray and that's why never take a deterministic view when investing Take a probabilistic view. There will be some, you know, no stock which is available cheap will not have any issues connected with it in terms of corporate governance or business uh, quality. But you have to focus on the price and the valuation which you are paying. But the in- we have to also remember that the intrinsic value of a business with a fraudulent management is actually zero. So frauds and scams, fraudsters are absolutely not tolerated at all. because they'll siphon off all the money for themselves and not for the shareholders so those are a complete avoid but if there are some you know minor business issues or temporary advents in the business those you can still live with no problem and some corporate you know again the size of the corporate governance issues like i mentioned like the like the related party transactions for example many indian corporates have some degree of related uh, related party transactions but the size and the significance has to be taken into account understood so i think that's definitely a 
good learning for a lot of the retail investors who are watching us because again at some point in time you really get swayed away with what's happening or what's the chatter around you know a particular company and try to hop onto that with the hope of you know uh, generating short term trading profits right and gotham just trying to switch gears and uh uh wrap it up with a few questions and uh, specifically going back to your entire thesis around modeling your fund around the buffett partnership his his style of investing and as we all know he's a big advocate for uh passive investing right and uh, and that sort of like perhaps is true for more of the mature developed markets where the price tends to be a lot more built into into the stock but then in an emerging market like india where there is, again there is a significant scope for price discovery how do you reconcile an active versus a passive approach uh, when you're looking at an emerging market like india like like where do you stand on that i think uh, passive in, uh, investing or index investing is the way to go for any beginner investor in the market irrespective of whether it's us or india i think there's a trajectory that every investor has to follow in his uh, journey start up with index fund then move on to actively managed mutual funds then move on to a small case or a pms and then you can basically start investing on your own after that once you've developed the necessary expertise to invest uh, on your own in research company so i think you know rather than passive versus active i think you should only go active when you have the expertise and the know how to navigate you know all the turbulence and volatility in the market and the various uh, you know business risks which uh, are present but till that time you should you know either invest through an index or entrust your money to a fund manager to manage your money on your behalf got it understood un- understood gautam and and one of the mostly i i would say commonly asked questions which we uh, got a lot of inbound for is again given where we are in the market right now where do you think like from a asset allocation point of view within equities right are you overweight large cap underweight on the mid and small what 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 should an ideal asset allocation and again we do, we do not want to be too prescriptive but just trying to get your sense on where you're seeing opportunities and where you're seeing a bit of a frothiness and exercising caution in those segments i think caution should be the default practice for all investors in the market especially during bull markets because this is when maximum mistakes of commission tend to occur this is when we tend to go down the quality curve and eventually get burned in the subsequent corrections of the bear market because you have to understand that during a market crash both quality stocks and junk stocks fall after the markets recover from the bear market or the market crash quality eventually recovers and goes back to all time highs whereas junk stocks lie low for many years before the next bull run takes over so caution should be the default mindset for all investors in the in the market and in my book i've also mentioned that categorization of stocks into large cap mid cap and small cap is overrated categorization of businesses into good great and gruesome is underrated focus on the business you know have a multi cap approach be mentally flexible and be open to investing across the market market cap spectrum wherever you find opportunity to make money on a risk adjusted basis that's what all good investors view investing as great and, and gotham finally any final thoughts that you would have for our viewers and listeners who's uh, tuning into our podcast uh, given your experience both in the indian markets international markets uh, what advice would you have to indian investors today i would say first and foremost have a long term mindset uh, the future for india has never looked better In fact, uh, I always tell people that the bull market in India started in 1991 with the economic reforms, and we have been in a 
32 year bull market with intermittent corrections and a few sharp bear markets in between but the long term trajectory of india is upward we can always debate about the angle of the slope but uh, the trajectory is very clear and you know like udai kotak in his recent conference call uh, actually mentioned that he has never seen the stars so well aligned for india in many decades and when you know udai kotak speaks you know his words are taken very seriously by the entire banking fraternity i think we should also pay heed to his heed to his words that have conviction in the power of india and its entrepreneurs and the you know future of this country i think uh, you know in terms of digital infrastructure what india has managed to accomplish is simply remarkable and that has put us on the very very you know uh, resilient growth path going forward and uh, over the next few decades if we simply assume the market cap to gdp to approximate the one over time we can Im- just imagine the kind of wealth creation that lies in store for investors in the great indian businesses trillions of dollars Right, we're talking trillions of dollars in market cap addition over the next few decades, and who will capture the bulk of this upcoming wealth creation boom in the Indian stock market? The nation's best managed businesses with proven ability to scale up their operations and execute. They are the ones who will capture the bulk of this upcoming wealth creation boom. Just to give you some numbers here, and this is not a phenomenon just specific to India. So in India, between 1990 and 2018, only one percent. of all listed stocks in india accounted for 100% of the market cap creation only 1% of the listed stocks and between 1926 and 2016 only 4% of listed equities in us accounted for 100% of the market cap creation what does this tell us that in every market at the end of the day it is always a stock pickers market and if you are once you get hold of even a handful of those 1% or 4% of those listed stocks in that in those countries Just hold on for as long as you can, because these uh, big wealth creators are very rare. So the moment you get hold of them at a small cap or mid cap stage, don't sell out just because of overvaluation. No, they will become overvalued very fast. But you have to stick with them, wait for the earnings to catch up, and then again the compounding engine takes over, and you you again start getting the capital appreciation. So be patient with the great business businesses and good management teams, because. these managements which operate in structural growth industries they have this special ability to pivot into adjacent areas and they keep on expanding their terminal value and once the market becomes confused about how to value such a business which is continuously expanding its terminal value that is when the valuations go ballistic and you basically end up with uh, stock you no know, uh, stocks having 100 plus p multiples look at Look at Astral Poly as an example. Not a stock recommendation, and we do not hold it in our India fund or our CFR. That is to our own. But uh, you know, this company started off with CVPC pipes, then branching into additives uh, like Fevicol, and they kept on you know branching into adjacent areas, and they kept on expanding their terminal value. And today, the stock is at more than 100 p multiple. So, the moment you get hold of such a strong and capable management team, stay put for the long term because. these managements tend to spring out a surprise from their hat something which cannot be modeled in an excel spreadsheet great uh, thank you for uh, leaving us with such wise words and reiterating on the india growth story it is definitely i think without a doubt that it is india's decade uh, i think 2020s and 2030s is definitely going to be for india to show to the world i think the power that we have in our economic engine and for all the investors in our country today i think the best best bet that you could make is just best 
make a bet on India. I think that's it. I think if you just keep things simple and hold on to these wealth creators, at the end of the day, you'll be able to uh, create some wealth for yourself. And uh, thank you so much for Gautam for having uh, uh, been on the show today. And we look forward to connecting sometime really soon. And for all the viewers and listeners and our subscribers, if you liked our show, please do hit the like button and subscribe for more such videos in the upcoming weeks. Thank you.